we just give a thank you for the work God is doing? Um, if you're new with us, thank you so much for being here today. For those online, I so appreciate you joining us. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And, and here's what I want you to hear is you made a choice to be here today. You made a choice to set aside time for the Lord to have an encounter with Jesus. And, and here's, here's what's important. Um, sometimes we can go to church and, and the goal is to be entertained or to have an experience. But my prayer my prayer for us as a church that every person in here is that you would have an encounter with a living God, with King Jesus. And that while you're here, and, and here's part of what is the reality. Some of you, this is your first time in church, maybe ever, maybe in a long time. Uh, others of you, maybe you've had a rough week and you came this morning hoping for an oasis, a break from life, a, a, a harbor in the storm. Others of you have had an amazing week and going to church is just what you do. But for whatever reason you're here I'm so glad you are. Um, I want, and my prayer for our church is that you would first encounter the Father's love for you. Uh, when we were singing that song, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And sometimes it just feels like God isn't running after us and we're chasing. But here's what I want you to hear. You have a heavenly Father who loves you and who is running towards you. And this morning, we're going to be talking about that. Others of you, I pray that you would encounter the overwhelming heart of Jesus, his desire for you to know you, to love you, to shower you, to lavish is the word that the Bible uses, to lavish you with his love. And lastly, I, I hope you have an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, is that you would begin to realize that there is not just a God, but it's it's one God, three persons, and one substance, and you can have a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Uh, Jim, can I just, okay, real quickly, you may not realize this. It's hard to see yourself on video, like one of the most intimidating things. Can we give a thank you to the Dorncamp, Celesters, and to Jim for sharing their story? Like, I'll be honest, I'm watching myself up there going, is that what I look like? golly, why does anybody look up there? Like, like, it's so hard to see yourself. And it does, it takes courage to share your story, to, to share parts. And, and you'll notice they didn't go into all the details. And that's the thing about testimonies. You don't have to share the details. What you want to share is what Jesus has done in you and for you. And God is doing some pretty remarkable things in their life and in this church. And we're going to be having more of these videos. And so uh, if you have stories, if you're like, hey, I'd love to share my story um, email me, email Megan, one of the staff, and you might get asked to do a video, but these stories are so important. Amen. I mean, think about what the, the power of story does. Testimonies, not just encourage the person giving them, but how many of you were encouraged by the stories from these families? Like it's, yeah, you can give another clap for that. And, and here's the thing, because it's about what God is doing, and we need to see that, and we need to share that. Uh, I know the Lester's, okay, now this is really cool. I'm going to embarrass them for a second because I love them. By the way, that's why you don't want me to share a lot of love to you because I will embarrass you. Just ask my children. Um, I had told uh, when the Lesters were going through their stuff several years ago, I remember talking to Scott and Sarah and saying, listen, here's the deal. We have a God who redeems. And God, if you allow him to and you allow him to do the work, God's going to redeem your story and he's going to use your story to bless other people. So their video has been viewed over 1.5 thousand times. 
And I know people that they're already talking to, and I love the posts that they sent where they said, hey, if you're struggling, we'd love to share and to talk with you and encourage. And God, Lusters, would you agree with that, that God has been redeeming your story, and now you're getting to bless other people? That's the power of testimony, because I talked about this the, the first week. Evidence only takes you so far. It's evidence plus testimony. And the evidence is a redeemed story, but their story is what gives life to the evidence. And so these stories matter. Um, I want to start off with a little fun game. How many of you guys remember the, or have ever played the game, Would You Rather? You know what I'm talking about? It's where you have two options. Yeah, right there, Lee. I see you right there. Uh, it's where you have two options and you have to choose which one you choose. You only have two. You don't, you don't get any other options. And, and here's, I want to start with this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask some would, ra- would you rather. These are kind of fun. Uh, here's the first one. Would you rather be able to fly, but for only 30 seconds at a time, or jump really high, but only once a day? How many of you would rather fly for 30 seconds at a time? How many of you would rather jump really high, but once a day? One honest person. Two honest. Thank you. You guys are great. All right. Would you rather have to sing every word that came out of your mouth? Not singing good, mind you. Or have to rhyme everything you say. How many of you would rather sing every word? How many of you would rather rhyme? I'd rather rhyme so I can challenge Eminem and be like, what's up, yo? I'll rap battle. I got this down. I'm lit. Peace. Would you rather have to dance everywhere you went? Or hop on one foot everywhere you went? How many of you would rather dance everywhere you went? Because you're probably thinking you're going to look awesome, but I didn't say you look good. How many would rather hop on one foot everywhere you went? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Those are silly and fun, but sometimes the would you rathers can actually be thought-provoking and change or maybe reveal if we had a choice, what would it be? Would you rather have a huge, a big imagination or a photographic memory? How many of you would rather have a large imagination? How many of you would rather have a photographic memory? How many of you would like a photographic imagination? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Would you rather live in a world with no disease or live in a world where there is income equality? How many of you would rather have no disease? How about income inequality? Okay. Would you rather never be rejected ever again or never fail ever again? How many of you would rather never be rejected again? How about fail? Last question. Would you rather give up one of your five senses and be rich or have one super sense but be poor? How many of you would rather give up one sense and be rich? How many of you would rather have one super sense and be poor? What if that super sense was your nose? My wife has a super sense. It's not fun. Like, I can be downstairs. She's like, you need deodorant. I'm like, I'm downstairs. Leave me alone, woman. I took a bath yesterday. So it's more weird with my children, though, because I smell nothing. How many of you men are like this? My wife's like, wow, do you smell that? No. No, I smell absolutely nothing. <laughs> that was the one, I've been told that's the one good thing about some people had COVID side effects, not being able to smell. Here's the reason why we like Would You Rather games. They give us a sense of control. I mean, isn't that what we all want? We all want a sense of control of our lives. Uh, how many of you remember reading these books when you were a kid? Yeah, how many of you guys, yeah, there's, you said that last time too. 
How many of you remember the Choose Your Own Adventures? The reason why we like them is that you get to choose the option, and the goal is to either make it out alive, escape the mansion, find the buried treasure. But what it all really comes down to is at the end of the day, whether it's a would you rather or choose your own adventure, everybody wants the freedom of control. We want control. And here's the hard part. Sometimes life doesn't feel like it gives us much of a choice to control anything. I mean, think about this for a moment. No one chooses sickness or injury. I don't know anybody who would choose that for themselves. No one goes into a marriage choosing divorce before it ever began. No one struggles with anxiety, pain, or heartache. These are not choices, and yet this is what we're faced with all the time. What happens when your story feels out of control? What happens? How do you handle it when you're desperate for a new story because the story you're in right now just seems to suck? We've all had that feeling, haven't we? I don't care who you are. Every single person in this room has had a moment. Maybe it was just a fleeting moment where you went, really, this is my story, God? Can't I have a different story? My story isn't going the way I want it to. And here's the reality is that there are no choose your own adventures. There's no two single options to get out of an unhealthy story. It's a lot of choices. And sometimes we make the right ones. Sometimes we make the wrong ones. And I think it would be so much easier if there was just an option A and an option B, wouldn't it? And especially if both options were good. The hard part about the would you rathers is there's always a consequence. Even if you, yes, you could fly, but it's only for 30 seconds. Or yes, you could give up one thing, but you've got to gain another. Or you can gain one thing, but give up something else. That seems to be how life really works. And the hard part for us, whether you're a Christian, exploring faith, or not a Christian at all, is we all experience the same thing. Stories are hard. Life can be hard, can't it? And it would be so much easier if we just had control. I want to start off by reading a text from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Paul loved the church in Ephesus. He spent more time there than any other church that he planted. He spent over two years there. He writes this to them. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let me kind of simplify what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we need a new perspective. That 
we have been chosen by God for him to lavish his grace and love on us. And that he has known these things before the beginning of time and that he desperately wants us to understand the hope, the new story we have in Jesus. Now, here's why this is important. In the ancient world, when Paul was writing this, life was not easy. People died from starvation and famine. They were under occupation by the Roman Empire. I mean, life was not easy. And yet here he is saying, listen, you still have hope. Our hope is found in Jesus. And here's the last part. And would you stand with me? We're going to read this. This is our text for today. Would you read this with me? This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, for the people in Ephesus. Let's read this out loud together. Here we go. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be open. Now, here's what this means. The heart was not the seat of emotion. You may have heard me say this before. The heart, is, uh, the heart of a human is the decision-making. Whatever rules your heart rules you. Now, in the ancient world, they believed the eyes were not the windows to the soul, but rather whatever filled your eyes filled your heart, which is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eyes are dark, your heart is dark. Whatever your eyes fix your attention on, whatever consumes your eyes will ultimately consume your heart. And if your eyes are darkened, your heart will be darkened because your heart is controlled by what you see, what you desire. But if you have light, if your eyes are filled with light, your heart will be filled with the light of Jesus, of the gospel. So here's what Paul's getting to. We need to see differently. We need to see our stories differently. And this morning, I want to share two stories from the Gospels of individuals who did not choose their life. They, no one would have chosen what they were in. And for some of you this morning, this might ring truer for you than it might for others. So the first one begins, there was this famous pool called the Pool of Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda. Bethesda, Bethesda in Aramaic means house of mercy. Now, what was unique about this pool is it had five colonnades, porches, where people would come and lounge, including the religious leaders of the time. And people would come, not like our swimming pool here in Clear Lake. The reason why they would go was to cool off from the heat of the desert sun because Israel is in the desert. It's not a very nice temperate climate a lot of times. So they would go there. Now, here's the gross part. They would go to get refreshed. They'd stand in the cool water and then also drink from the water. Yes, they drank from the water people were bathing in. They didn't understand what we understand. But there was one other thing that this pool was famous for. It was believed, there was a legend, that when the waters bubbled, there was an aquifer underneath it. And every once in a while, that aquifer would bubble up the waters. But they didn't know this. They thought it was the wings of an angel touching the pool. And every time that pool began to bubble, there was a legend that whoever made it to the pool first into the pool would be healed from their maladies, healed from their injuries, healed from their sickness. 
Now, here's what I want you to hear. Well, we don't believe in angelic pools that bubble water. People are still standing by pools hoping to be healed. They're called golf courses and gyms and restaurants and movie theaters and football stadiums. We go to these things most of the time trying to escape our reality because we don't like the story we're in. We like that story better. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Why do people hang out at bars? Usually to escape their story. Why do we go to football games? For that four hours, we get to escape reality. But for them, they really believed that no matter what was going on, if they could just make it to the pool first, they would be healed. And so you would have blind people, deaf people, crippled people, people crippled with injuries, sometimes paralyzed, who would wait at the pool waters in the, the cool of the colonnade, the porch, sometimes for days, months, years, hoping just hoping that if, when that water bubbles up, that if they could get to it, they could have a new story. And there was one man who'd been disabled for 38 years. Now, here's why this matters. In our world, we're disability friendly. We have ramps and wheelchairs, and we are far more aware of those who are other able or disabled. But in the ancient world, if you were blind or deaf, or if you had some form of malady that prevented you from work, you were useless. You were a burden on society. And so you could only be taken care of if somebody gave you money provided food for you. These were people that never would have chosen their story. And this one man had been waiting. We don't know how long he was there, but we do know that he had been disabled for 38 years, waiting for the pool to bubble. One day, Jesus and his disciples walk in and Jesus sees the man on his mat. And the mat was what kept him cool on the ground from the heat of the sun, but also made it because there's rocks and stuff. And Jesus sees the man and he says, hey, do you want to get well? Duh, Jesus. Like, of course he wants to get well. Why is he here? Now, here's what I want you to hear. What we're going to see is the man doesn't actually answer Jesus' question. Instead, he's so overwhelmed by life experiences. This is how he responds. Sir, he doesn't even know who Jesus is yet. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred by the angel. While I'm trying to get in, Someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, this is a rather sad irony. Bethesda is the house of mercy, but it's filled with merciless people. Because what real mercy would do is if you saw that man struggling to get to the pool, whether or not you thought it could heal, mercy would go and pick that man up and take him to the pool. Imagine seeing him week after week after week. The religious leaders were there. They could have done anything, but they don't. We're going to find out in a little bit. They get really bothered by Jesus. This is, the man cannot see the possibility. So when Jesus says, do you want to get well? He doesn't even have the idea, the dream that life could be different, all he knows is that he's tried, but every time he tries, other people push him aside so they can get to the water first. Imagine a scene of maybe dozens of people crawling their way, people who maybe are, are able to walk, pushing people who are paralyzed to the ground away. This is the scene, and Jesus meets him. Now, here's what I want you to hear. It's hard to show mercy when you're too busy thinking of your own needs first. That is the hardest part about being humans is that when we have needs first, who do we tend to think of first? My needs. 
And we live in a world that desperately is looking for mercy, but we need it as well. He doesn't actually know how to answer Jesus' question every time, every time, not some of the times. Every time I try to get to the water, someone gets to it first. Sometimes our traumas, our painful experiences become an obstacle for us to think or dream of a different story. I know that there have been times in my own life where someone asks me what should have obviously been a yes question, but I just couldn't fathom yes as an opportunity as even possible. Sometimes we don't know how to say yes to healing because we're overwhelmed by all of life's no's. Some of you in the room today know exactly what I'm talking about. You're overwhelmed by all the no's and and you hear this and you're like, okay, Jason, Jesus then turns to the man. He doesn't challenge him and say, well, why didn't you say yes? No, all Jesus says, he looks at the man. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man does. Now, here's what's remarkable about this. Now, there's a show called The Chosen. Have any of you guys watched The Chosen? I have to confess, I have not, but I saw this clip and it was really powerful. There's a moment in The Chosen we're at the pool of Bethesda. They show this and the man is sitting there and he's crying and saying, I can't get to the water. And when Jesus says, get up, he begins to feel his legs, his legs work and he stands up. And now here's the scene. Remember I told you about the religious leaders. The religious leaders are upset. They're upset because the man has picked up his mat on the Sabbath and the Sabbath is a day of rest and picking up your mat was considered work. And they look at the man and said, hey, I know you've been paralyzed. I've seen you, but why are you picking up your mat? That's work. Who told you to do that? And the man's response is so great. He's like, listen, I don't, I don't know who it was. He just said, get up. And I did. And I walked. Peace out, yo. And he walks away. That's, the, the religious leaders are trying to challenge him. Now, here's what I want you to hear. And I said this last week, and I want to say it again. For those of you who are skeptical, who are wrestling with the idea of miracles, I get it. I get it. There's a reason why they're called miracles. A hundred years ago, if you had a heart attack, your likelihood of survival was very rare. It didn't matter how major or minor it was. hundred years ago, medicine just wasn't there. How many of you remember when it used to be if you needed a triple bypass, they had to crack your chest open? You ever seen those? Now, you have a heart attack, and if you get there in time, they just put these little wires, these stints up your groin, and they unclog your heart. A hundred years ago, if you could do that, that would have been a miracle. But because it's so commonplace for us, it's now the mundane There's a reason why they're called miracles. Miracles don't happen often. If they did, they would stop being miraculous and they would start being mundane. And the hard part for us is that if if you've ever prayed, God, I've been praying over and over again for healing. I've been praying against anxiety, depression, addiction, a physical issue, cancer. I'll tell you, when my wife's mother was diagnosed with cancer. We prayed every day, God, it's possible for you to heal her. Heal her, Lord. And he did, just not the way we wanted. She got the ultimate healing. She got to be with Jesus and it broke our heart. And it was this bittersweet. We were both happy and joyful that we knew where she was, but we were sad and heartbroken that God didn't answer it the way we wanted to. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? And when we we hear these stories and then you read them in the Bible and you're like, God, I know you can do it. Why aren't you still doing it? Now check this out. 
This is, the, this is the cool part. The man gets healed. Do you know where he goes next? The next time we see him, he doesn't go to the strip bar. He doesn't go to the club. He doesn't go golfing. He doesn't go to the gym or to the movies. He goes to the temple. It's the next time we see him. He's hanging out in the temple. And I have to believe the reason why he went to the temple is that he had probably not been able to go to the temple of the Lord, which was the center of the life of a Jew, in decades. And Jesus sees the man. He goes, hey, I imagine he looks at me and goes, hey, you're the guy who healed me. And Jesus says, here's the thing. I know you're well. Now the word there, well, simply means bodily wellness. That's it. I know you're well, but here's what I want you to hear. Jesus says to the man, now stop sinning or something worse could happen to you. Now that sounds like a threat, right? You either stop, there's something worse. But what, here's what Jesus is getting at. See, the man probably thought the only thing that needed healing in him was his physical ailment. But Jesus understood that real healing comes down to the soul first. And we get so fixated on physical healing that we forget Jesus never promised physical healing this side of the world, but it is possible to have healing with your relationship with God, a soul healing that makes you right with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is the hardest part of this. When we see ministries like Celebrate Recovery or AA, it's great if you're in recovery for addiction. And, and I've had people, Jason, I've prayed that God would heal me from addiction and it's not working. Here's the thing, that man still had to get up and walk. He had his part to do with it. But the bigger part is God never promises that. And when we do that, it does no good if you're in recovery. That's great, you're a recovering alcoholic. But if your relationship with God is not restored, you're just a dry alcoholic going to hell. Jesus cares more about your eternal relationship with the Father. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about your ailments or your illness. I still pray for healing. And I pray with authority and belief that God can heal, but they're called miracles for a reason. What God wants to do is change our perspective, our vision, our story. Jesus understood this. The man did not. And so Jesus says, listen, you need to do this. Now, what if when we put our focus on the healing or the miracles of the Bible, we're actually placing our attention in the wrong part of the story? What if the whole point of those stories is not to show that Jesus can heal, though it does point to that, what if the primary point is to show that Jesus came to restore our relationship with God and healing physically is secondary? The primary is he wants you to have a relationship with him. Now, the second story is kind of similar. Oh, one last thing before I skip on. He's in Bethesda. Here's the cool part about what happens here. This man had encountered, instead of being in a house of mercy, it was the house of the merciless. And yet here comes Jesus. Jesus is the true Bethesda. Jesus is the house of mercy. This man got to experience mercy. And it doesn't say anybody else in the pool of Bethesda was healed that day, just that man. But guess what? Every single person in that room encountered God's mercy. Some of you in this room, what you really need to experience is God's mercy more than you need physical healing. Now we still pray and we still believe, but God wants to restore relationship. And when you can see differently, things change. Um, we lost a sister in the Lord yesterday. Uh, Christine Atwell went to go be with her Savior. And we prayed for God to heal and we're heartbroken that she's gone. And yet we celebrate because she's with her King. She's with her Father. Christina understood that. She understood where her relationship mattered. And so the miracles are there to point to Jesus, 
not to point that the miraculous is always going to happen. Jesus is the greatest miracle of all. You being saved is the greatest miracle of all. Amen? Now, the second story is a little similar, but it's different. See, Jesus is uh, he's walking through Jericho. And there's a man on the outskirts of Jericho named Bartimaeus, and he's well known as Blind Bartimaeus. And we don't know how long he was blind. He was probably born blind. And he's heard of Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He, he's maybe even met somebody who was blind that Jesus healed. And all of a sudden, Blind Bartimaeus gets word that Jesus is in town. Now, I want you to do me a favor for a second, okay? When you're blind, you have to rely on your other senses to see, to hear, to experience Imagine for a moment, I want you to close your eyes. Put yourself in blind Bartimaeus' shoes. You've heard that Jesus, this rabbi who does miracles, is in town, and you begin to hear this. You have no idea what's going on, but you're hearing the noise. You've heard about this Jesus guy and you hear there's a crowd coming and, and open your eyes and he, blind Bartimaeus turns and says, what's going on? What's going on? I hear noise. I hear something happening. And someone says, Bartimaeus, Jesus is coming. Jesus is walking by and Bartimaeus yells out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now check this out. Remember, we just talked about the God of mercy. Jesus is the true Bethesda. And what do we see? The disciples and the people in the crowd turn to Bartimaeus and say, shut up. We're busy. He's a busy man. He's got important places to go. You need to be quiet. And Bartimaeus goes, no, no, no. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciple, everybody's like, just be quiet. You're really obnoxious, right? And Jesus stops. We may not realize how powerful a story that is in that moment because most rabbis would have kept on going on. But Jesus stops and he says, hey, tell him to come over here. Now, all of a sudden, the tune of the crowd changes. Bartimaeus, cheer up. He's called you. Like, wait, you just told him to shut up. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, take good cheer, sir. Like, I'm like, first of all, who talks like that? Have you ever had somebody, I've heard people say cheer up, but no one says take good cheer, hearty sir, right? That, that's not a word. Now, here's what I love about this. Bartimaeus had a cloak. This cloak was his livelihood. It kept him warm from the elements. It protected him from the rain. He would sit on it, kept him from the sun. And it says that Bartimaeus stands up and stumbles to Jesus. It doesn't say anybody helps him. Nobody grabs his hand and leads him. Instead, you see a blind man and it says he leaves his cloak behind and he stumbles over to Jesus because he understands. Now, here's the divine irony. Just like the house of Bethesda was filled, the house of mercy was filled with the merciless, the only man who really could see in that moment was the blind man. Everybody else was spiritually blind. They did not have eyes to see who Jesus really was. But blind Bartimaeus did. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he gets up and he stumbles to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a different question than he asked the man at the pool of Bethesda. What can I do for you? I want you to hear this. Some of you need to hear this today. Jesus is asking, what can I do for you? But he's not telling you that he's going to give you exactly what you want. But in this story, he does. And 
He says, Jesus, I want to see. Now, I love this. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. Now, there's a difference. See, that first word in the pool of Bethesda was the word well. The word well in Greek, it's referring to physical wholeness. But there's a different word here. It's sozo. Everybody say sozo. Sozo in Greek means complete healing. It means physical and spiritual wholeness. When we die to go be with Christ, we experience sozo. Bartimaeus had sozo. And here's the difference between him and the man at the pool of Bethesda. Bartimaeus already had faith in Jesus. The man at the pool of Bethesda didn't have faith in Jesus. He just stood up. But here's what I want you to hear, and this is what's important. See, when we look at this, there's, there's a few things that we learn between these two men. The first is this. I can't is not the same as I don't know how. Sometimes you don't know how to get well, so you say, I can't. But what you really mean is, I just don't know any, I don't know any other story than this one. This is the only story I understand. It's not that you don't want to be healed. It's that you can't fathom a world in which healing could take place. Second, often God's healing requires your participation, which we call faith. The Bible calls faith. Both men had to leave something behind to experience the healing they needed. The man at the pool of Bethesda had to pick up his mat. He had to leave his comfort. The blind man left his cloak. Too often we want healing without the sacrifice. Too often we want God to heal without the faith. Too often we fixate on what we define as healing instead of letting God define the healing for us. And here's what needs to happen is that's our element of faith. There is a participation that takes place in our faith. God is the one who initiates. We respond, not the other way around. Too often we think we initiate and then God might respond. No, no. God initiates, we respond. And when we understand that faith operates these ways, all of a sudden it changes. And this is the third one. There's a difference between healing the body and healing the soul. When the soul is healed, everything changes. How many of you ever heard of Joni Erickson Tata? Joni Erickson Tata was a, a very talented diver who had an accident where she dove into a pool and it was too shallow and she broke her, her neck and ended up being paralyzed from the neck down. Joni Erickson Tata now has a ministry where she preaches and proclaims the gospel and she's completely paralyzed. Do you think she didn't pray for healing? But she made a statement. I was listening to an interview with her and she said this, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was being paralyzed because I was heading away from Christ, not towards Christ, and me breaking my neck led me back to God. Sometimes God uses our physical ailments to give us spiritual eyes. Sometimes God will use those heartaching, heartache moments, not because he doesn't care, but because he wants to meet us. He wants to change our perspective. Some of us need a perspective change. We need to see the story, our stories differently. Now, here's the best part about this. Blind Bartimaeus, who now can see, turns to Jesus and says, I'm going to follow you. And it says that he then followed Jesus. This begins the calling in our life that we are called to not just be healed by Jesus, but to follow Jesus. Sadly, too many people in the church think the goal is, well, I have faith. Faith means I go to church. It means I do things, but I don't want to follow. Faith without following isn't faith at all. Faith leads to following. And the more you follow, the more faith you have. That's the cool thing about God. 
And as we step into that, we discover that when God works through those aspects of our lives, Bartimaeus understood his only hope was in Jesus. God wants us to realize that our only hope is in Jesus. Some of you need a story change. And it would be so much easier if the would you rather was just option one or option two. And here's what I want to tell you. God is giving you an option. If you want your story changed, the real story change happens by placing your faith in Jesus. And sometimes in order to step into a new story, you need to get rid of, to leave behind the old story. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is literally saying, if you want a new story, you got to kill the old one. You got to be willing to let it die on a cross for you. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? God does promise ultimate healing, but it begins first in our relationship with Christ. And you might have an affliction for the rest of your life, and it doesn't mean that God is not good. It means that God needs to open the eyes of your heart. Think about that prayer that Paul gave. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Here's what I want you to hear. Uh, Helen Keller was asked this by a rather insensitive man. He said this, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which Helen Keller responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. 